December 23rd, 1783 is a day that changed the face of not only our world, but definitely our country for more than 200 years. George Washington had been the general and the commander of the Continental Army leading the American Revolution. He said when he took command that as soon as the war was over, he would resign. As independence was won, though, a groundswell movement began clamoring for Washington to establish a new American monarchy and become king over the 13 colonies. But on December 23rd, 1783, despite the cries of those under his command and the pleading of those who wanted this new king, he walked into the Continental Congress and resigned his post as commander of the army. The next day, on Christmas Eve, 1783, he got on his horse and headed back to Mount Vernon. King George III had hired an American painter named Benjamin West, and shortly after this, he asked West a question. He said, what will Washington do now that he and the Americans have won independence? And Benjamin West had heard the news of Washington's resignation, and he said, they say he will return to his farm. And listen to what King George III, the King of England, said. He said, that act placed him in a light the most distinguished of any man living, and I think him the greatest character of the age. Washington would later unanimously be elected as America's first president, and he would retire voluntarily after his second term because he wanted to set up a system where no one would rule more than eight years that we still live with over 200 years later. He remains the only American president to not belong to a political party. Later on, Washington is quoted as saying, I did not defeat King George III to become King George the first. Wow. I mean, can you imagine having the power and the influence and the position that Washington had and using that power to do that? And it, it reminds us of this word that we're almost enamored with sometimes, this concept that we're almost enamored with sometimes, power, power. And I told you to get a piece of paper and some pen because in just a second, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write down all the things that you have power over. Your family, your a company, maybe a department, maybe it's a group of volunteers, your checkbook, uh, uh, some organization, whatever it is that you have power over. I want you to take 30 seconds and write down as many things that you can think of that you have power over, starting now. Time's up. Hope you got a pretty good list there. 
Now, I don't know if you wrote this down on your list because maybe you weren't thinking this way, but I want to tell you the most important thing that you've got power over, all right? The most important thing you have power over is you. The most important thing you have power over is you. You get to control you. And this is really important right now because we are in a time where we feel like we don't have power over anything. We feel like we don't have, we, we don't have power over our schedules when we go to work, when we ever go back to work. We don't have power over our calendars. Maybe you've got a big vacation planned in early June or mid-June and you're even wondering if that's going to happen. We don't have power over the economy. Some of us are watching 401ks and retirement plans dissipate daily. You don't have power over your job and many of us are worried, and you may be sitting there this morning, you're worried about whether you're going to have a job by the time the week ends or by the time April ends. And you thought you had power over it, and you don't. We don't even have power over our health. And we're fearful that going to the grocery store, going to the drugstore could actually make us sick. We, we have so little power right now. We're, I was reminded of this even more profoundly it, just a week or two ago when I heard Dr. Fauci say something. Don't you love Dr. Fauci? Man, thank God for Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks because they're, they're just helping lead us so well right now. And I heard Dr. Fauci say something about the coronavirus that we're all going through. He said the virus sets the timeline. He said the virus sets the timeline. And it was a reminder of how powerless that we are, that we don't get to control anything. We don't get to control when we go back to work. We don't get to control when we get to come back to church. We don't get to control when things are back to normal, when the economy starts rolling, when businesses crank up again. We don't get to control it. We are powerless, except you still have power over you. You still get to control you. And guess, here's, here's the thing about it. You're the only thing you had power over all along anyway. Like really, we just lived with illusions of power. But all along, the only thing that's ever really mattered and the only thing that you ever really can control is you. And today, we're going to read a story about the implications of what we do with the power that we've been granted, that we've been gifted with in this life. And a Washington story is an inspiring story. It's one of my favorite stories of an American president. But the most profound story of power is the story of the one who gave up power over everything. The Lord of all creation, the King of kings, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is said came before all things and by all things were him made. The most powerful story is in that one who gave up his power for the sake of all people. It's the story of Jesus and his sentence to crucifixion. And it teaches us the greatest lesson about power and leadership ever, and it begs a question that we're going to close with today that challenges us still 2,000 years later. So 
Let's talk about some of the characters in the story before we dig in in John chapter 19. So if you got your Bibles there and you want to open up to John chapter 19, grab it there. If you don't, in this season, this is really important. We usually give free Bibles away. We want to do that when we gather again. But if you don't have the Bible app, great thing to add to your phone or to your tablet there. It's totally free. You can read that. And in this day and age when we're so connected digitally, the Bible app's really critical here. So let's talk about some of these characters. One character that you need to know about is Pilate. He is the Roman governor over the province of, of Israel, of, over the, and especially over Jerusalem. Pastor Ben Cathy last week uh, talked about Pilate's trial with Jesus. And Ben said some of those famous words that Jesus said when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? And of course, we believe Jesus is the truth. It's sort of a loose occupation of Jerusalem. He just mainly kind of governs over the, the Jews, mostly for financial purposes. He wants taxes. And he is before Jesus in this trial, and Jesus is before him, and he doesn't see any reason to charge him with anything. He, he doesn't see anything that he's done wrong, but the chief priests see things a different way. They've charged Jesus with blasphemy because he's claimed to be God. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. They can convict him under their law, under the Jewish religious law, they can have him imprisoned under their law. But this, this charge of blasphemy is punishable by death. And only the Roman governor has the right to execute someone. And they know it, and he knows it. Now, their systems of power are complicated and intertwined. But here's what you need to know. They, they lean and rely on each other. They're with each other. Pilate is in power over them, but he doesn't care much about what they do with their religion as long as they behave and as long as they pay taxes, everything will be okay. As long as there's no civil unrest. Now, the religious leaders, they get to do what they want to do as, they, as long as they pay their taxes and they get to have power. And as long as Pilate is happy and as long as the chief priests are kind of happy with one another and as long as no bad news travels from Jerusalem to Caesar in Rome, then everyone gets to keep their power. So let's look at this story about what they're going to do with their power. It's found, like I said, in John 19, verses 1 through 5, we start with. This is what it says in John 1, in, in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This is after the trial. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face, so they're mocking him. They're, they're making fun of him. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As often, is basically what he's saying. It's like, this is a mockery. 
this man has made some claims. He's obviously not the son of God or he wouldn't have let us make fun of him. He wouldn't have let us mock him. He wouldn't have let us flog him and beat him. He's just a man. And I don't feel like using my power to do this today. It's really what Pilate is saying. We're going to check out the next couple of verses. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! They went from palm branches to a crowd that welcomed him a week before on Palm Sunday to crucify now. But Pilate answered, I love this, Will you take him and crucify him yourself if you want to? As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. He broke this law. He claimed to be God, and according to that law, he must die. And Pilate knew what, he, he knew what that meant. According to this law, he must die. And Pilate, you're the one that's got to do it because he claimed to be the son of God. Isn't this the way we do? They want to push responsibility on, on each other. They want to push responsibility on someone else. You make a decision so that if it's wrong, we could blame you, right? You make a decision so if it doesn't work out and things kind of go sour at the end, we could say, well, you're the one that did it. They both want power without responsibility. And sometimes that's the way we are. We want somebody to blame. And then this next passage, listen, listen to what this next part says. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He was more afraid because he knew that he was going to have to make a decision. In fact, it's a decision you and I have to make too that we're going to talk about with our question a little bit later. He was even more afraid and he went back inside to the palace. This is, this is awesome. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? This cracks me up. Don't you know who I am? Do you realize I have power? Don't you realize I have power? Don't you know who I work for? Hey, Jesus, don't you know who my daddy is? It's kind of what he's saying, right? And then listen to this. Listen to this next one. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Hey, Pilate, Jesus says, don't you know who my daddy is? You'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Pilate, the only reason you have any power is because I let you have it. And the only, power, the only reason the chief priests have any power is because I let them have it. But you get to choose what you do with your power. Pilate, you've got to choose. The chief priests have to choose. You've been given power. And this matters so much. How you use the power you have will determine your legacy much more than how much power you have. How you use the power you have will determine your legacy much more than how much 
power you have. How you leverage your power determines your legacy. How you leverage the authority you've been given, the influence you've been given. Washington could have led his own kingdom, but he chose not to for the good of others. And Pilate and the chief priests now had a decision. But the reality is, is that you have a decision and I have a decision. How we use the power that we have been given over our organization, over our families, over our finances, uh, over volunteers, over whatever we've been given leadership over, and most importantly, ourselves, is what mattered. You get to choose what you do with the power you have over you. You get to choose what you do with the power you have over you, and how you use that power will determine your legacy. Not how much power you get. We're a world, we're a country that's so just obsessed with getting more authority and power and control. But no one at any funeral ever gives a, gives, a, gives a sermon or gives a eulogy and talks about how much power, how much control, how many accolades, how much influence someone had. All they talk about is what they did. Did they use the power they had over their family to serve their family? Did they use their position in their company to serve their employees at their company? Those are the stories we tell at funerals. And you and I have to choose. Are we going to let others convince us how we should use our power so that we can keep our power? Are we going to listen to the still small voice? Here's the interesting thing. Here's, listen, listen. What others tell you about power is often telling you about a counterfeit power. Because here's the paradox of the story. The greatest show of power, the greatest power present in the story of the crucifixion was not in the authorities that made an arrest or the religious leaders who levied charges or the Roman soldiers that beat a prisoner to the edge of death or the political governor who ordered an execution. The most powerful display in the story of the crucifixion was in the broken and bloodied body of a Savior on a cross given as a ransom for the sake of the world. In the kingdom, power is turned upside down. In the kingdom, power is not position or authority or control. Power is a cross. So I want to take a moment to just pray for us before we ask this question, just to kind of take a pause right at this moment in the message before I challenge us with this question about what you wrote down on that piece of paper. And most importantly, if you haven't written it yet, write you, write me. I get power over me. You get power over you. And I just want to say a prayer about that. So would you just join me in this prayer over those things you've got in the paper? Lord, we are reminded how powerless we are. We have virtually no power or control over a virus that has disrupted our lives in ways that we could never imagine. Lord, we have no power over the economy, no power over our jobs, no power over our schedules or our calendar, no power over our schools, no power over this hidden enemy. But we get to have power over our attitudes, over our spirits, Lord. We get to have power over ourselves. And we're being challenged to practice self-control and stay at home. 
to yield our control and power of what we want to do for the sake of others, for our neighbors, for our city, for our country, for our healthcare workers, for our doctors and nurses. We're reminded of your son, Jesus, and his words. That greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So help us to look like Jesus, to lay our power down for the sake of others, to lay our life down for our friends. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I told you that we were going to end with a question, that this leads to a question that we've all got to ask, okay? And here's the question. What do I do with Jesus? Would you just say that at your, at your home with me? One, two, three. What do I do with Jesus? Say it one more time. One, two, three. What do I do with Jesus? That's really what Pilate and the priests were trying to figure out, and we've all got to figure it out. So let me just read the story of what they did with Jesus. The rest of the scripture says this. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but he didn't try real hard. He tried to figure out a way to kind of get out of the situation. He tried. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And so Pilate's thinking, Oh man, I don't, I don't want word to get back to Rome that there's been upheaval up here. Because then I could lose my power. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement which in Aramaic is Gabbatha it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about noon here is your king Pilate said to the Jews but they shouted take him away take him away crucify him shall I crucify your king Pilate asked we have no king but Caesar the chief priest answered. Finally, here's what Pilate did with Jesus. Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate went against his gut because civil unrest would get back to Caesar in Rome and he would lose his power. The chief priests sold their soul and bowed to a king who was not their king because otherwise they would lose their power. And you and I have to deal with the same question. It's easy to point fingers at Pilate, and it's easy to point fingers at the chief priest, but we have to remember that we have to answer the question too, what do I do with Jesus? Will I give up my power, my control, my wants, my dreams, my desires, desires for Jesus? Do I, will I let him rule in my life? And here's, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. What we choose won't stop Jesus. <laughs> Pilate and the chief priest thought that this would be the end of the story. But it was not the last chapter. And here's what you need to know and what I need to know is that your choices will change nothing Jesus does in the world, but everything Jesus does in your world. 
Your choices will change nothing Jesus does in the great big world, but it will change everything Jesus does in your world. Their answer was to kill Jesus, but it didn't work because Sunday was coming. It was a bleak, gruesome Good Friday, but Easter Sunday was coming. Resurrection was coming. The birth of his church was coming. You see, you you don't get to write Jesus' story. He's already written it and he's continuing to write it. You just get to choose yours. Pilate couldn't stop Jesus. The chief priest couldn't stop Jesus. The religious leaders couldn't stop Jesus. The Roman centurions who beat him to a bloody pulp couldn't stop Jesus. The angry mob that shouted, crucify, crucify, couldn't stop Jesus. The nails through his hands and feet on the cross couldn't stop Jesus. And the stone that was in front of the tomb couldn't stop Jesus. And the gates of hell couldn't stop Jesus. And coronavirus can't stop Jesus. And churches canceled all across America can't stop Jesus. Nothing can stop Jesus. Somebody needs to stand up in their living room and say, nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. Nothing. Nothing can stop him. Because he was on a mercy mission of grace, love, forgiveness in fact the apostle Paul would later write this he would say that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor any height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord you can't sin too big to stop him pursuing you, forgiving you, loving you. In fact, there's only one thing that can stop Jesus from moving in your world. And it's you, friend. And it's me. Your choices will change nothing Jesus does in the world. But they'll change everything, everything, everything Jesus does in your world. So, what will we let Jesus do in our world? Will we put others first in this season of waiting because Jesus put us first? Will we forgive our family when we're stuck in the house another week and we're driving each other crazy because Jesus forgave us? Will we do what's best for our neighbors because Jesus did what was best for us? even if it's inconvenient for us? Will we sacrifice for our neighbors because Jesus sacrificed for us? Will we give people grace when we're frustrated and stressed in this season because Jesus extended grace to us? It's the million dollar question. What do I do with Jesus? We're learning. We're learning that we have less power than we thought less control than we imagined and we're more fragile than we ever dreamed and we're not promised tomorrow 
And in this season more than ever, this question matters. What do I do with Jesus? Because here's what I've realized. We can be quarantined from the world, but we haven't figured out how to be quarantined from our own sin. From the own mess we got going on in our hearts. And the gospel is simply this. That the one who had all the power in the universe gave his life to forgive that sin. He died on the cross for you. And a week from now, we'll celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday and the victory we have for eternal life over that sin and death. But you got a question to answer. What do you do with Jesus? And I can't think of a season that there's a more important time to answer it. I know that in this season that we've been able to connect with some people that we never had before. Maybe somebody shared this on their Facebook and you've been tuning in for the last couple of weeks. We're so grateful. Maybe your spouse has been watching and you don't really go, hadn't typically gone to church, but you've been tuning in with them. Maybe you're watching across state lines because somebody invited you to, and maybe this whole concept is new to you about what to do with Jesus, but you feel something in you. And I just want to invite you to say, yes, I want to invite you in, Jesus. Because in this season that seems so surreal, Jesus is still real and still working and still pursuing your heart. And our hope is in nothing else but that forgiveness and freedom from our sin. So I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to begin a conversation. There's a word on your screen, there's a, a, a number on your screen, and I want you to text the word chat to that number, C-H-A-T. Now here's what's gonna happen when you do that. That's just your response to say, I wanna talk to somebody about doing something with Jesus in my life. I, I need to make a decision to ask Jesus into my heart or I wanna figure out what it looks like to have Jesus in my life and I wanna talk to a pastor. You text chat to that number and this week, one of our pastors is gonna give you a call to just begin a conversation. Listen, it, if this season reminds us of anything, it's that not only is the world out there broken and fallen and messed up and hurting, inside me is also broken and fallen and hurting. So would you just say yes? I know what I want to do with Jesus. I want him to change everything in here everything in me. That's what I want to do with Jesus. And friend, here's the greatest hope that I can give you if you'll do that today, no matter where you're at, is that no longer how long, no matter how long this lasts and how long you're stuck at home, you don't have to be stuck alone. He is with you. And He'll live in you strengthen you 
if you'll ask, if you'll decide to do something for Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters sitting on their couches, at their kitchen tables, maybe even sitting up in their bed right now. And I pray that you be with them. And I pray for people who have never made a decision to follow Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, or they need to take another step, that they would just begin a chat today, just a conversation about what that looks like. Lord, thank you that you gave your life for our sins. To heal our hearts. Lord, we are praying so much for our doctors and our scientists to heal our land. And we're asking you to supernaturally move to get rid of this virus. But God, we are keenly aware that no one can fix our hearts but you. Heal us. Help us decide say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.